Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsuit Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less, no thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box. And $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. A new generation of leaders on the left want change in the Democratic Party. I'm here with my guest host, Joe Kroger, talking about just that. I'm Sarah from the left. And I'm Joe, also from the left. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. Welcome, Joe. We are so excited to have you. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. I was so excited about your topic because I feel like we've neglected the Democratic Party on pantsuit politics over the last few months because between what we plan to talk about and what the president of the United States forces us to talk about, we just don't have much time for anything else. So I was so excited when you suggested this. Yeah, he doesn't leave you guys a lot of, a lot of wiggle room. No, no, he doesn't. <laughs> no, he doesn't. So, Joe, tell the people about yourself. Sure. So, um, as I mentioned, my name's Joe, and I am originally from the Midwest. I'm a good Midwestern girl. Um, but I live in New York City, and I'm a musician, and I work part-time retail jobs, sort of keeping it down, but I have toured a lot with a lot of different groups. I have sort of a folksy project and solo project, and I also, if you're fans of things like uh, futuristic punk music with, like... <laughs> concept project stuff behind it. That's a project that I'm into. Shockingly enough, I actually do have a friend that's like super into it. Now, I think his is probably more like what's George Clinton classified as? That's funk. Funk. So funk. So one letter off, but he is very futuristic 
fun. Sure, sure. Very futuristic. George Clinton is is um is certainly a visionary. Yeah, that's what my friend's into. Like he has like a mirrored cape and he talks a lot about physics and space and he oh did my a, gosh. he did a show in a planetarium. Like it's a thing. That's so dreamy. He's dream- he's pretty dreamy. I want to see him appear with like Neil deGrasse Tyson in like an interpretive dance segment. Oh, I'm sure that's in the works. I'm sure that is in the works. <laughs> okay, so Joe had a really awesome topic that I couldn't wait to talk about, which was, like we said in the opening, the progressive left, which seems yes. to be having some insurgency. Now, I will say, here is my PSA before we... You, Joe did some awesome research, and she's going to kind of walk us through the different groups. But I will say from the outset, like, I'm all about this, generational change, which is how I, I like to frame this. I do not enjoy the way the media writes about this. The No. Oh, the, like the New York Times did this thing. New Democratic leaders and the Democratic Party is bracing. I'm like, can, can we can we not? Can we not? Well, and I saw an article this morning on Twitter that was talking about um, the swing voters are real. Stop saying the swing voters aren't real. And they specifically were aiming this towards the progressive left. They're like, oh, the progressive lefts don't, leftists don't care about swing voters. Oh, and goodness. that's in my research. That's not the case. And no. I want to say... From the outset, and I said this in my submission, I am not, I don't identify as a progressive leftist. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're a card-carrying member of the DSA, Good for I, you. I, am, I am not. <laughs> and I think that's great. Um, this sort of all started because after the election, and we'll get into this in a minute, but after the election, um, my boyfriend and I kind of went in two very different directions where he felt very energized and inspired by the progressive left and was like, we have a direction to go towards. And mm-hmm. I just sort of felt completely depleted and baffled as to what to do next. And so, you know, I think there is this energy of let's move towards something on the progressive left. But I agree that the way the media is writing about it, both in terms of the Democrats and the progressive left, like nobody's particularly complimentary here. It's a lot of PR problems we've got with each other. Yeah. And it's just annoying. It's just they're they're building in conflict, which I'm not saying there isn't inherent conflict when one party, when one part of the party sees a different sort of vision of the future. Although, again, I'm not I'm not 100 percent sure that's our conflict right now, but I just the the everything's going to fall apart. It's just they all hate each other. I just think it's all it's so unnecessary. But I do think that the progressive left and the the messages they are saying, the people they are speaking to is very real and very important. I was listening to a really great This American Life. It was called It's My Party and I'll Try If I Want To, which is And they were following the primary race in um, New York's, I think it's New York 18, District 18. And -hmm. they were following Jeff Beals, who was a Democrat for Congress. And they were just talking about the way that he was trying to run as progressive. Um, There was lots of talk of following up to Bernie Sanders and where his organizers were going. And it was a really interesting, particularly because Jeff Beals was so open and honest about his interactions with like the DCCC and the fundraising aspect of it. It was just, it was a really, now he ended up, he, he ended up losing. He didn't win. It's New York 19. Yeah. He did not win the primary, but it was an interesting conversation of just where the party is with these, with these democratic, from everything from the DSA to just more progressive left people in a lot of primaries, particularly up North in New York and New Jersey. It's definitely interesting to watch. And we have, you know, a lot of sort of buzz going on about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, mm-hmm. um, obviously, who is actually from my district. I live in Queens. And she covers, <gasps> yeah. That's so awesome. I'm so yeah. jealous. So, See, I love I, her. Everybody <laughs> loves her. What's not to love? She's so charismatic. She's very charismatic. And she, you know, she was very like feet on the ground, pounding the pavement, going yep. out and knocking on doors. And, you know, 
there's a lot of talk about sort of Joseph Crowley and how he really hadn't been around here yeah. in years, in years. Yeah. And, um, but it's kind of funny to me. I mean, I understand that it's, it's national because it's a congressional race, but it's sort of funny because nobody was talking about it except we were here, yeah. um, you know, as part of Queens and as part of the Bronx. And so I was like, yeah, she accurately represents this community. Her values mm-hmm. represent this community. And there's this sort of like, oh, what is she doing to the country? And it's like, she is representing a very specific district and she's the right representative for it, in in, in my opinion, given given sort of the economic and sociological concerns of, of these dis- this district. Because here's how I feel. I feel like I have no problem with insurgent left, way more progressive way more leftist than the rest of the country, people coming from districts like that. I almost want to flip the model. It feels like the model has been, well, we'll take our Democratic Party leadership from super, super safe districts like that, Mm -hmm. and then we'll, you know, fill the party ranks with the moderates. And to me, I would almost like to see it like, no, I don't want anybody, I don't want, like, to see a, a safe candidate in a district like yours. I want the districts like yours to be pushing us as far left as we can. But I don't know if it's a good idea for party leadership to come from districts like that. You know what I mean? Well, let's sort of talk about that then, because let's talk about sort of what it actually represents, because that's something that really fascinated me as I was looking through this was like, we hear about it as this insurgent party, right? And we hear about it as this like really like extreme take on things. And the more I've been reading about it, the more I've been fascinated by how not controversial a lot yeah, of the no. issues I agree are. with that. I agree with that. I think I think you're right. I mean, I don't, I don't think that her views or even some of the other parties are, it's not like they're like, I mean, I don't know, that NPR piece on the Democratic Social, they were like, we want to own the bakery. No, we're talking about, go, we want to go like full on socialist control of the modes of production. I'm like, oh, I don't know, guys. Maybe we could just all talk about universal basic income. I think that's a better one. That's a one more winning platform for you. But I think you're, I think for the most part, you're right. I mean, I don't think that's what she was advocating. I think she was more advocating for um, universal health care. Here's my question. I have a question for you, if that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, my question is, what are the issues that you associate with the progressive left? Obviously, you've mentioned universal basic income, Um and sort of like really socialist day to day. I mean, I think the number one issue I associate with them is healthcare. Yeah. Yeah. It's huge. It's huge. And I think that that probably is is intentional. I mean, if you look at. I think at, the two are healthcare and um, college education. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those seem to be the two big ones. So when I started looking into the progressive left, what I saw a lot was obviously the DSA, which is the Democratic Socialists of America. What a lot of people are not aware of is that the DSA is not a political party. Mm. Um, they don't identify as a political party. They are an organizing group primarily. And so you have them endorsing various candidates. Uh, you have them out there knocking on doors, trying to help out, but more often than not, they're not just helping candidates, but they're helping causes. And so the DSA specifically has been very outspoken about Medicare for all. And when it comes to Medicare for all, this is actually a policy that is in in a Kaiser poll from this year, popular with 59% of Americans. Yeah, so totally. This that. is this is a winning this is a winning policy proposal, and it's not specifically single payer. It is specifically Medicare for all, which is a, a type of single payer, but it's not um, it's not where 
you know, with Obamacare, we were kind of moving in that direction. Like, let's make sure everybody has coverage. Um, whereas this is like, nope, the government would provide the health care for everybody and we'd all be on the same page. And you have countries like the UK, you have countries like Canada, um, and, and lots of other countries in some version of a single payer system. Um, so that is one of their major points. They talk about, um, you know, a lot of people want to say, well, how will we pay for it? How will we pay for it? And first of all, one of my takes is like, okay, we come up with money for stuff all the time. Like we just like blew out the amount of money we're contributing to the military this year. And I'm not saying whether that's right or wrong. I'm not expressing any sort of opinion on it, although I have them. I'm just saying we come up with money for stuff. Yeah, I but, listen to a Democrat ask me that. I'm not going to listen to a Republican ask me that anymore. A congressional mm-hmm. Republican comes at me with like, how are we going to pay for it? I'm like, oh, y'all sacrifice that card. Sorry, friends. <laughs> exactly. But um, when you look at the amount of money that Americans, America uh, spends on health care every year, the average working class American family spends over $6,000. Um, some people much more than $6,000, but the average working class American family spends, uh, I, I want to say like $6,200 annually um, on health care. Hmm. And so what the DSA is saying is with Medicare for all, yes, your taxes would go up, but then you would be spending a total of, I think it was like $470, something around there, um, under $500 annually for your health care. And that's a really drastic difference. I always think about Michael Moore, who is controversial, I understand, deeply flawed human being. But sure. when he did the health care film, it was, I loved his point where he was like, people don't like paying taxes because they don't feel like they, they see anything that they get from it, even though some of that is just psychological blindness to the things that our taxes pay for. But mm-hmm. if they were getting health care, I wonder if their opinions of it wouldn't feel different. Like they would see the impact of those dollars regularly. Absolutely. I mean, when I think of what I pay just from my paycheck every month towards my health care, I, I think I would still be saving money. And I and I have part of my health care paid for by my part time retail job. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like that, that's that's crazy. This is this is everybody that this is going to impact. Um, I don't know if you saw over the weekend, there was this big kerfuffle about this economist who was like, we should stop having libraries and have Amazon bookstores instead. And everybody's like, what are you talking what about? What is wrong you know? with you, sir? <laughs> I know. But it's exactly what you're saying where it's like, yeah, people don't like taxes, but they realize what, you know, most people pay. I want to say I saw some posting about it being something like 75 cents in taxes for a library. Yeah, right. Yeah. Worth it. And And you're talking about language classes. You're talking about community activities. You're talking about books. I mean, just books. Let's just stop it there. You know, listen, I read 70 books a year. They're almost all library books. Amazon, like online e-reader books. I mean, those are easily 10 bucks a pop. That's $700 a year. Here's my concern, though. You know, when you say it's an organizing party, I get that because so is the Tea Party. And I think the Tea Party has been so detrimental to the Republican Party. I think that the idea that we'll just shut it down, that it's our way or the highway, that the, you know, what I don't, that's why I said I don't mind. It's not that I necessarily think these views are extremist. I don't. But I don't mind people in the party when you have a, a diverse coalition of people. Like, I don't mind like I said, in those sa- the first point was in those safe seats, like your district, I want the most mm-hmm. diverse views, the most diverse candidate possible. 
You know? Sure. I want the most diverse perspective. Like, I love white guys. I live in a house with four of them. But, like, I don't want to see a white guy (laughs) in that seat. I want to see somebody totally different, like her. And so, you know, that's the first thing. But then I don't mind people pushing the party that way. What I don't want them to do is anchor us so we become a sinking ship like the Republican Party. Like, I don't want—I still want it to be a conversation. And I think the way the media frames this sort of conflict— or debate or whatever. It's not like a conversation. It's not like, okay, this is the new no. generation. This is what happens every time. Like in the New York Times article, they did talk about like these. You're talking about people coming up in the party that don't remember Barack Obama's first election, which is makes me feel so old and it's sort of mind blowing to me. But dang, I get it. Like, you know, they want to see they want to put their mark on it. And that's important because if you don't adapt and change and grow, you die. And so I don't want to see the Democratic Party die. And I'm all about people pushing us in a new direction. The reason I think I sort of suggested a different model for party leadership because you do. You have like, you know, Nancy Pelosi and Joe Crowley in these two super safe districts on each coast is that's where I think you can't. I would like to see more moderate candidates from the middle of the country leading the party because I think that then you have somebody invested in a wider vision. You have those voices pushing us, pushing us, pushing us to the left. But then you have people able to compromise and see a path forward for the party. Because, I mean, a a diverse coalition is going to involve compromise inherently. And I don't think the people on the progressive left are wrong, that they've been the ones forced to compromise over and over and over again. I think that's a really important point, is that the people on the progressive left feel very much like the Democratic Party has not heard them. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, this brings me to one of my biggest sort of points of cognitive dissonance when it comes to the progressive left, which is we have this mentality of the Bernie bro, right? Mm -hmm. I was going to ask sort of how did you feel after the election about the progressive left? Because I know I was left with a really bad taste in my mouth about this sort of Bernie bro uh, figure, you know, this Bernie bro stereotype in my head. And and it, it was real. It was true. But when I finally sat down and looked at the makeup of the progressive left, what I saw was a ton more women, a ton mm. more women of color, a ton more men of color. Like there was just a much broader sampling of a diverse population who were coalescing around these ideas that, again, were, I mean, literally just the de- definition of the word progressive, right? They were moving forward and they weren't these insane leftist ideals. Again, Medicare for all. It's not an insane leftist ideal. I understand no. that it's not popular with everybody, but it is it is a popular idea. A lot of these, um, some of the other organizations that I looked at were the Justice Democrats and Our Revolution. And Our Revolution, if you look down the list of issues on their website, they have things like a living wage, infrastructure, immigration, you know, taking care of Puerto Rico, looking out for women's rights, LGBT equality, empowering tribal nations, caring for our veterans, like caring for our veterans should not be a controversial, progressive issue, right? right? Like that should be pretty much across the board that we're just taking care of people who have given, who have devoted their lives to serving our country, whether we agree with the way they served our country or not, we should be taking care of them. And so these are not wildly you know, wild and wacky ideals. And so I think sort of the PR problems that we have with each other are well-founded. You know, when I look at um, sort of internet progressive culture, it's very Mm. different from what I see in the people who are working in the day-to-day. Like I listened to, 
I listened to an interview with Julia Salazar, who is also a progressive candidate running in New York. She's running in um, the sort of Williamsburg Bushwick area, which d- probably doesn't mean a lot to anybody else, but it's become this very, very, very gentrified, very wealthy area, very rapidly. Um, and, um, and I was listening to an interview with her on a very popular leftist sort of comedy podcast called Chapo Trap House. But oh they yeah. Also those talk people are about, huge. Those guys are huge, man. Yeah. They're huge, right? They're, they're massive and I can't stand listening to them. And I know that <laughs> like, there's not a lot of crossover here. I'm not worried that like Will Menneker and Virgil are going to be like, yeah, well, we can't stand you. Like, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not we're really doing, we're concerned about things. that. <laughs> we're doing very different things. But like, I get why people like them. And yeah. I get why people are attracted to sort of that, that PR attitude of like, well, who cares what you think you've screwed us over? that's how the tea party felt. It is how the left feels. I don't like comparing the tea party and the progressive left partially because the tea party has some really distinct alignments that were directly negative. And I see the progressive left as, as trying at least in their policies to be moving forward, but that's a personal opinion. And I understand that we have a lot of listeners who probably feel very differently about that. And that's fine. We can have a conversation about that. But I understand the parallel, right? Yeah. That we have two sort of things that seemed like fringe parties that are, they're not fringes anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. They're kind of driving the way the parties work. And I, I think that train maybe has left. Here's my thing about the Bernie bros. First of all, because I'm old, I remember Obama bros. <laughs> because I worked on Hillary Clinton's 2007 campaign, and I got sure. mansplained too. In one particular cross-country flight in which I sat next to uh, higher up in the Obama campaign, and he lectured me the whole time, which was super fun. But I think you're right, which is I think that what happened with Obama and Bernie, sort of the some of the attitudes of the candidate itself overwhelmed the actual reality of who was working for them. So, yeah, I think Bernie said some sexist, racist stuff. I just do. And I think Obama said some sexist stuff when he was running against Hillary. And I think that, you know, I hope that they both have evolved since then. But you that became the narrative when I think you're right, when you looked at sort of the the composition of their actual campaigns and volunteer base was very diverse. And so I'm way more excited to see candidates that that reflect that, that reflect the yeah. diversity of that that insurgent sort of wave inside the Democratic Party. I don't think that, but I don't think the bro mentality, because so much of this is like, there is, a, you know, it's an, it's just, you know, I, I think it's just the reality of the situation, whether it's a generational surge, um, whether it is um, class insecurity or frustration over corruption, whatever it is, there is a tinge of self-righteousness to it. And that's fine. You know, look, you got to get something to get you all fired up and work that hard. And so I don't mind a little self-righteousness. I, that's my favorite emotion, as, I'm, as I have as I've said before <laughs> on the podcast. So, I mean, I think that that's just sort of inherent to the beast. But, I, I mean, for better or for worse, in the same way that I think the Tea Party was tapping something real, I think that the progressive left is tapping something very real, which is you even now have President Obama on a world stage at Mandela's birthday talking about how – Capitalism has failed us in a lot of ways, and we have Absolutely. a massive amount of income inequality, 
And that doesn't mean that we want to go back. You want to we want to become Soviet Russia and, you know, turn all the modes of industry over to the government. That's not what we're talking about. But we do need to have and we need people pushing us to have conversations about new and different solutions to our income inequality, like addressing government corruption, like a universal basic income, like, you know, overturning Citizens United, all these things, you know, and I think that those voices are so powerful. Look, I had not even a thought, I had not even occurred to me to abolish ICE until Cynthia Nixon, who I am very much enjoying, whose candidacy I'm very much enjoying, (laughs) was on The View and said, we should get rid of them. And I'm like, oh my God, yeah, she's right. That's why you need those voices to people to say like, this is not the a solution that is just to either see solutions that no one else is even considering and to put them into the space. And now that's like, I'm not saying it all started with her view appearance. I know there were people who were pushing that for a lot longer, but just to have those yeah. those voices out there saying, this is not a fringe idea. Medicare for all is supported by 59% of America. Abolishing, it's a, you know, it's a, it's not even been around that long. There's no reason we can't get rid of it. And just these, these ideas sort of pushing, pushing, pushing in a different direction. I just, like I said, I just, I'm always concerned that it not become intractable, that it not become... We have the only solution. We have the only approach that will work. And that, you you know, that's the frustration I think everyone gets. People who've been working in democratic politic, politics for their entire adult lives, getting lectured to by somebody who's worked on one campaign is inherent in, again, generational conflict, but also doesn't engender a lot of warm feelings. Sure. I think that makes perfect sense. And I think, you know, like you said, there have been people pushing for this for a long time. You know, it's not just generational. There have been socialists for a long time. And it's important to remember that socialism or democratic socialism, and I want to be really specific about that, that that it's democratic socialism. It's been around for a long time and it's not, it's not a political system. It's an economic system. Mm -hmm. This is a country that the young generation has a lot of reasons to be mad at capitalism. It has failed them as a generation. It has not done well. I am not telling you guys we should all burn down capitalism. It's the worst ever. Um, Whether or not I think that is sort of still up for grabs. I think there's a lot of problems inherent in capitalism. But I do think that, you know, there it makes perfect sense that people have sort of started to draw towards these socialist thoughts. And that also, you know, we have to remember when when the country moves towards one thing, this country has proven time and time again that it's it's on a pendulum. You know, mm-hmm. it's going to swing back. It's going to swing back. It's going to swing back. So if you're someone who's scared about us getting too communist, like, I just don't think, and, you know, knock on wood, I, I could be wrong, but I just don't think that's going to happen. I don't see that happening. I think that when we look at moving towards socialist programs, there have been times in the history of the country where we have introduced socialist programs and it saved this country's butt. You know, it just did. And, and then we've moved away from it and then we've moved back towards it. And that's a part of being a country with multiple parties, specifically right now, two main parties, but you know, multiple parties ostensibly. And so I think, you know, we have to listen to new ideas like you said, abolish ice did not start with Cynthia Nixon. Right. I mean, I can't say how much it's meant to me to hear Beth talk about, well, this isn't necessarily a crazy idea. And people sort of always paint it as like, oh, the leftists have lost their minds. They want open borders and everything. And it's like, no, this is a, an organization that was supposed to serve as a purpose and it has not served it well. Mm-mm. 
I really appreciated Justin. I think it was his name, Justin Amash. The con- he's a Republican congressman. He yeah. was like, "What Is the heck?" He- West Virginia. I think so. I think he was the guy that was like, "Hey guys, we're Republicans. We're supposed to want to abolish government agencies. Like exactly. this one hasn't even existed for that long. Why are you guys so defensive of it?" It's spending a lot of money doing a very bad job at what mm-hmm. it's supposed to do. Let's either replace it or not have it. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's that. Like yeah, like you said, for Republicans who like don't want government programs it's sort of funny to see them so defensive of this particular one well i just but i think that that the progressive left whether through primaries or other conversations is doing what it's supposed to do it's doing it and doing it well which is pushing the conversation in the direction but i think that forever and always especially when you have a certain insurgency of a lot of energy you know you got to have a nobody likes to hear it, but everybody needs to hear this sort of like Obama speech of like, this is a long game, y'all. Like, this yeah. is not we're going to overthrow capitalism in the next at the next election. Like, that's not this is a long game. This is you're working to push the country. I love his that he does a talk where he talks about like we're an ocean liner. Like, we can't do a 180 degree turn. The boat will tip over like we have to do 10 degrees so that in 30, 50, 40 years we're in a totally different place. So, and I think that the progressive left is doing that. I think they're pushing the conversation by smaller degrees. And I think they should, I think that it's just always important to look at that as an as a success. It's not about overtaking Congress and getting Medicare for all in the next four years. It's about pushing, pushing, pushing. I mean, that's what the Tea Party has done for 10 years, for sure. I mean, I just think that overall, too, the other thing that, that I want to make sure that's really important to me, I think, just as a, as a, Democrat is that I I understand frustration. I understand anger, even to a certain extent. I just don't want the Democratic Party. And I don't necessarily feel this from the progressive left at all. I just think it's an important thing to always keep in mind, because I think that's what the Tea Party, the Tea Party became what they were against, the type of American they were against. You know what I mean? And I don't want to be that. I don't want to be the Democratic Party that is opposed to you know, rural middle America and just becomes an oppositional, you know, I think because I think there's a bigger vision and a more almost honestly, a more compassionate vision that would affect everyone, including rural middle America. That's something I want to be really clear about, too, though, is there's this sort of mentality that the progressive left lives in my state, in New Mm -hmm. York or in California. And it's just not true. There is so much happening in middle America that is being driven by, I mean, we talk about um, Paul Ryan's challengers in Wisconsin. You've got that iron stash guy. Are you following this guy at all? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Randy Bryce. And then even his his opponent uh, for the primary, Kathy Myers, who is also heavily progressive. She's a long-term education, um, she's a long-term educator. She's served on, I think, the school board. You know, you have these really progressive people who are saying, we need, you know, health care. For all we need these progressive policies in middle America because they are really significant to middle America, particularly on a federal level, because in, in New York, we have a lot of these policies already on the state level. The New York Times had a really interesting like graphic on this. And that there are there's a spattering of the little blue. They have House primary winners who were endorsed by at least one major insurgent group. And hey, listen, my local um, Democratic candidate running in our my congressional district, Paul Walker, was the one little blue square in Kentucky <laughs> endorsed by an insurgent group, which is really awesome. He's running against um, Jamie Comer, our, our current Republican representative. And there's this, you know, there's some up and down the coast of the South and there's several in Texas. But there is like, you know, 
Nevada, uh, North and South Dakota, Montana, Idaho. No blue squares. Like there's just, but then there's like literally like 50 blue squares in New York and like nine blue squares in New Jersey. So I mean, I think that that I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I think you're you're right. There's more than just there. There's more than candidates just in those two states. But that definitely seems to be the epicenter. There's not even that many in California. Next up. Continuing our conversation about all things elections, largely Democratic Party, I'm going to talk with a roundtable of women with varying degrees of campaign experience, and we're going to be talking all things campaigns and campaign organizing. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second-chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive and Jean has you covered. We've talked about Olive and Jean's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are gonna last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and Jean also has press-ons if you want. What I love though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. And they say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsuit for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. 
That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash pansy. Let's start with Abby. Abby, tell us about yourself. All right. So my name is Abby. I am 20 years old and I am a junior at Ripon College in Wisconsin. And I am currently working on Senator Tammy Baldwin's re-election campaign. Um, and it's been super fun, super awesome. But it's also been really interesting because she's had the most money spent on her in attack ads. So it's been very interesting to watch all that and kind of just see how everyone else is reacting. Um, but I've also had some experience on the coordinated campaign. So really making sure everyone up and down the tickets elected. So it's going to be a great rest of the summer and a, a fun, fun experience until November. So Abby's a newbie to campaigns. That's why she yes. talk. So Maddie, why don't you go next? Cause you're the professional right now. So I'm actually also a newbie to campaigns, but um, I am a senior student at Northern Michigan University. I'm studying public relations and political science, and I am the campaign manager on Margaret O'Brien for state senate. Um, she's the current state senator to Kalamazoo, Michigan is her district, um, so all Kalamazoo County, and so we're running for re-election right now. Maggie <laughs> is a campaign volunteer with a super fascinating experience. <laughs> All right. So I'm Maggie. I live in Titusville, Florida. And in 2016, uh, through a series of kind of escalating volunteering opportunities, we ended up <laughs> having... Wait, uh, I think that is a good uh, tagline for campaigns. Escalating volunteer opportunities. Yes. Yes. It started out, we were just going to go knock doors one day. And then he was like, oh, can we run a phone bake out of your living room? And we were like, yeah, sure. Then he was like, oh, well, we don't have anywhere to run our get out the vote operation for the whole north part of the county. So let's just do it from your garage. We're like, yeah, sure. So um, <laughs> the last month leading up to the 2016 campaign, my uh, house was the headquarters of the Hillary for America North Brevard area. <laughs> it was delightful. Uh, it was super fun. So I was good. so glad that they were done because I got my house back. <laughs> <laughs> we also have Carissa who had a really cool thought process about campaigns. Why are we so obsessed with like Oprah and celebrities and electing people we know? What does it look like? What does a different model look like? So I thought her question was really interesting in conjunction with all these, with y'all's experiences on the ground. So tell us about that, Clarissa. My basic thought was that we spend so much time obsessing about how and why we need to know people. Like we have to feel like there's someone we could have a beer with, right? Or Oprah is someone we see on TV all the time and we keep letting or... Um, endorsing folks really late into elections who have all this celebrity experience and not necessarily political experience and why, why that is. What, what drives us to do that and how does that impact specifically people that we don't have really good, diverse stories about? So we have lots of stories about white men in particular having all these leadership roles and being great at it, being not so great at it. Um, but we have to have a very specific story about women or people of color when they run or gain office that they have to be the best 
of all time in order for us to elect the second person of that identity. So I think it's just a really interesting way that we run campaigns. And I actually just joined a campaign. So, um, so we're all in good company. So that's my first question is, is Abby, Maddie, I'm really interested in when you're on the ground with candidates, people might not know as well how that sort of attitude in national politics generally trickles down. Cause that happened to me a lot when I knocked doors, right? People, the way they wanted to figure out about me was to ask me how I felt about Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. And so I thought that that would be an interesting jumping off point. With Margaret specifically, it's been really, really interesting. So um, Margaret is a Republican candidate. So people are very interested in how she feels about Trump. And there's no way to love or hate him enough, um, mm, depending okay. on who it is. That's, yeah, there's no way to love or hate him enough. That's perfect. So it's really interesting and everybody wants to ask that question. And it's really crazy to me because Margaret is a state senator. So she has nothing to do with his agenda in any way, shape or form. So we've been trying to kind of educate people on that. But also, I think it's really interesting because people, as far as like basic civics, don't know what affects what. And so they lump everything in together. Um, so I think that's been a really interesting thing, too, because um, as we're talking to people, they're like, well, you know, Republicans did this. And I'm like, well, yeah, the national Republicans did that, but here's what your Republicans here in Michigan did, or here's what, you know, your state government here in Michigan did Republicans and Democrats together. So I think that's been the interesting piece for Margaret is on the doors. It's like, that's all people want to talk about. And they're really confused as to what's happened on a national scale versus on a state level and that kind of thing. Okay. That's really, that's super interesting. And I think makes a lot of sense. So here's my question for Maggie, because there was no way to avoid it or to redirect it when you got Hillary for America running out of your garage. So how did you witness the volunteers sort of, or how did you try to redirect that sort of national narrative into a more like locally focused conversation? So what they were doing in that campaign was not really like voter persuasion. Like we were only ever knocking right. on registered Democrats' doors who maybe like hadn't voted in the last election or something. And we're just trying to be like, please vote, it matters. <laughs> I mean, it was, there was a little bit more like nice way of doing that. I didn't feel like a lot of people necessarily, like there were people who like maybe like moved um, I feel like actually people were surprisingly nice about it, especially given how like, I mean, like Donald, like Hillary Clinton didn't have like a real prayer of like, like we were just trying to come in, like their goal was to get 40% of the vote here. Mm -hmm. Like there, there was not like winning was not like on the table. They just really wanted to get 40% so that if they got 40% in enough places then the places where they thought they would get more, it would like balance out. So it was kind of, I don't know. It was, it was interesting like that. We just want to lose really well. <laughs> well, that's, that's a good question. Okay, so this is for the newbie. This is for Abby. All right. Have you been surprised by the difference between what you thought would be campaigning would be like out there engaging people on the policy issues and how much of it has been sort of what Maggie's talking about, like just boots on the ground, turnout. Like I don't really want to talk politics with you where this isn't about a persuasion conversation. This is about can you please promise me to get your booty to the voting booth? On election day. Yeah, so I'm specifically working in Milwaukee County for the campaign because that's one of Tammy's 
big focus is since there's a big population there and they really want people to vote. And that's a big problem in Milwaukee is people not getting out to the polls. Um, so again, like, yeah, like she was saying before, we do call mostly registered Dems. Um, we can see what they voted in the past and try to talk to them. Um, and there's not really a ton of persuasion going on, but it's a lot of like, can we count on you to get there? Can we count on you to get your neighbors to, you know, to vote, to get involved? Um, and it actually started this thing in Milwaukee where you can now register to vote at any public library because a lot of people don't have internet access or, you know, whatever the means to get to vote or get to register. And so now they can go to any library in Milwaukee County and register. So we've got pamphlets for that. Um, and there's like specifics, like we're not allowed to specifically hand that out at doors. But if we have people coming into the office for meetings, we can give it and we're like, Hey, give this to your neighbors. Um, so it's really been a lot of trying to get people to volunteer and then being like, Hey, well now that you're volunteering, we know that you're going to vote. Can you make sure other people are going to vote? So that's a big thing for us right now. I'm sure that the experience now when everyone is way more politically engaged has got to be very different. I mean, so Felicia, you said this is the, has this the first time you've ever volunteered for a campaign? No, but I'm, uh, I've done basic door knocking and calling and things like that. Um, but I was asked to help a little bit, with, again, escalating volunteer opportunities. Um, so I'm doing a little bit more of the PR and uh, social media and fundraising coordinating for a local city councilor now. Awesome. That's really awesome. Yeah. It's just so, you know, so much of it is like, I think people want it to be this really sexy policy conversation, but really it's just a numbers <laughs> game. It's just a nut game. Yeah. It's, just a, it's just a numbers. It's a lot of math. Mm -hmm. I, uh, it's a lot of like a hundred percent agree. <laughs> yes. And, yep. You know, but I think that what's sad is like what gets that talking about that aspect of, of campaigns, like it gets this reputation of being a drag, but like, it's not a drag. It's not a drag to go out and engage in your community and to knock on doors and meet the people who live around you. It's like I told, um, I said on Friday's podcast, when we were talking to the woman running for state Senate in Oklahoma, I said like, so much of it is just, you know, you're outside and you're moving your body, like just sunshine and physical movement mm -hmm. improves your mood just scientifically. So just Absolutely. You know, doing that kind of thing and talking to other human beings about what matters to them, despite the, you know, yeah. small percentage of jerks. It's just such a positive experience. It's such a positive experience. What do you wish people knew about campaigns? Um, I would say what I wish people knew about campaigns is that um, they take so many people to make them work, for one thing, um, and that it doesn't have to be a big commitment. Like, I think a lot of people think when you ask them to volunteer in a campaign, you're asking you're for the firstborn child. Of this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, but I mean, yeah, we have people who do things like that. Girl. Yeah. I mean, I literally have people I'll ask them to come knock doors for a few hours and they look at me like, oh no, because they think I'm going to like never leave them alone again. And I'm like, no, like if you come walk in a parade or you come volunteer for like three hours, I'm so happy. And if you want to come again, cool. And if not, then don't like, yeah. so I yeah. think that's the thing is like, people kind of think that it has to be this like big commitment and you have to be with us from like January to November, but you don't. <laughs> so that's true. Does anybody else want to answer that question? Okay. So, um, my big thing is when I call people, like we had an event a month or so ago with Senator Harris from California and Tammy. And I was like calling people be like, Hey, are you going to come to this? Would you like to come to this? And before I could even talk, I'd be like, hi, my name is Abby. I'm calling from Senator Baldwin's campaign. And they're like, I'm not giving you any money. And I was like, that's okay. Oh, but I'm also not calling. 
I'm also not calling to ask for money. And they're like, Oh really? And so people always think that when, whenever you call them and you want them to get involved, they just want your money. Like we just want your money. And like, yes, it helps, but we're more focused on activating people. And like, mm-hmm. even if you donate food for the office that fuels organizers and interns and fellows and volunteers for like, days and i'm like that's all you gotta do you know like show up to this event show your support call make some calls knock some doors bring us some food or like paper towel and like you don't have to give us money and they're like oh i didn't know that so i think there's a stigma going around it's like to get involved in campaigns and help people when you have to like give like huge sums of money when you definitely don't have to just as far as asking people just to kind of piggyback off what abby said is it's like i do think there's also like you can't be like mad at them for asking you again because i feel like as like somebody working on a campaign like it's your job to ask and it's their job to say no if it's not a good fit for them yeah. so like mm-hmm. i feel like you can't like hate them for asking like yeah mm-hmm. right. if you've seen a change in sort of the tenor of way of the way people talk to you either direction like my friend Haley Stevens is running for Congress in Michigan and she was saying like she just feels like people really do want desperately kind of want a return to to decency and I wonder how Mm -hmm. much y'all have y'all felt that as you're out on the ground it's sort of been not as much of a Trump influence and people being mean per se but for as far as candidates sort of going for the more extreme so in the city that I'm in, it's more of a race to see who can who can shut down big developments faster, who can say that they're less of a friend of big business. And that might be because of the city that I'm particularly in. But I haven't seen it get nasty. That'll be that's yeah. interesting because that's the conversation I had in the first segment of the show with Joe about the progressive left, the pushing the conversation that way. So that is interesting. Mm. Has anybody else felt that out? Do you feel like people are more aggressive or do you feel like people are just like, oh, I'm so tired of it? I personally have felt that people are more aggressive. Um, but also my situation is interesting because the campaign that we're running, I mean, I'm running a Republican candidate in a in a Democrat district, but we have a lot of swing voters. So our district has gone a lot of different ways with a lot of different um, offices. And it really depends on like the seat. So presidential elections were pretty consistent. But if you're talking about like, state level stuff it's very different every time but i've definitely noticed like people are more bold with what they will say to you in person um like i have had people tell me that they hope that i die or that oh Oh my god yes yes no i'm serious on the doors because they think that someone who could support a republican well they associate all republicans with trump which a lot of Republicans, actually, I would say the vast majority of like sane Republicans do not think that Trump is a good man. And like, you know, so I think that what's interesting about that is they've associated us all with that. And they're, they've t- said things to me, like, if you could ever support a Republican, like you should die. And I'm like, that oh, is wow. insane. Wow. Like oh, that is insane. <laughs> and so obviously those people, I'm just kind and I'm like, well, I hope you have a good day. And I like leave them. Um, <laughs> Because, you know, I'm like, well, you're obviously dangerous, so I'm just going to leave you be. But I've only had that happen a couple times. But I definitely think that people are even less receptive um, to hearing about politics at the door at all. So it's just very interesting. exhausted by it. Yeah. That makes sense. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible. And skincare is a huge piece of that. 
I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online, and we were discussing the fact that I am 43, and she said, I cannot believe how young you look, and I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered showerhead is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code PANTSUIT at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. I'm curious, Maddie, if, um, cause I'm helping right now, a friend of mine is running for a local school board and, um, I've been doing some like social media stuff for her. And my husband's been doing a lot of door knocking for her. It's funny. Cause here it's kind of like the opposite. People are like, is she, a, does she support Trump? And she's a, um, she has no party affiliation. So anyway, that's really mm-hmm. important to her. But my question was, Oh, do you feel like there's any like anti incumbent like sentiment? Mm-hmm. Cause I feel like there's a little bit of that, like vote everybody out. I'm like, wait, 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 not her. Mm-hmm. She's really good. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, I've definitely experienced that. I've had more and more people saying like, I think that everyone should get out. But what's really interesting to me, especially is this legislature in Michigan, both the Democrats and Republicans, they've worked so well together and they've um, been able to accomplish a lot for Michigan. Like they've have a plan to pay down our debt. They've put $2 billion more billion back into education. Like there's been a lot that's happened on bipartisan initiatives. So it's interesting to me that people are so concerned with voting incumbents out. And it kind of shows me that they're not super aware of what's been going on because this current legislature of incumbents has done a really good job on both sides of the aisle. So that has been interesting for sure. That makes me nervous. I mean, that's why everybody was so nice to me last time because I was an incumbent. Now I got to go knock on doors. (laughs) (laughs) I can't just be like, I know they're doing a terrible job, right? (laughs) So much easier that way. With the idea that it's becoming harder and harder to sort of have longer answers to long questions. And I think that gets to what you were saying about about people just thinking you have to vote out all of the incumbents is they're not, like you said, they're not super paying attention. And it's getting harder, I think, on the campaign side to have anything more than a sound bite of information. Mm -hmm. Well, and the thing is true. I mean, here's the reality that I think I learned and I hope that I can channel when I knock doors again is so much of what happens when you knock on a door and you're ta- and you're knocking on doors for a campaign is people don't want to hear your answers. They want you to listen to mm-hmm. them. But it's so hard mm-hmm. not to get defensive and not to go to your talking points and not try to defend instead of being like, you, re- you sound really upset about that. So glad I'm um, thank you for sharing that with me. I'm so glad I heard that. I'll definitely pass that along. Like, you know, it, but it's hard. It's hard. You want to give them an answer and you want to be like, uh-uh, you're wrong. This, this, and this. Really, <laughs> yeah, um, right. When really they just want someone to listen to them because for better or for worse, part of our political climate is people feeling like they, they're powerless and they don't, their voices aren't mm-hmm. being heard. Yeah, absolutely. And that yes. what's what we could tell people is that campaigns are an excellent way to have your voice be heard. I wish that's what people understood. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. We had someone call our office once and it was just one of the organizers and I, and they, I answered the phone. Um, and it was right when Trump was coming to Wisconsin to do, um, groundbreaking on Foxconn. And this guy was like, what is Senator Baldwin doing to like prevent or to, what is she doing in response to this? She's not doing anything. You guys aren't doing anything. Um, he's like, I had already called the other campaign office and her, her office in the Capitol. And so now I'm calling you. And I was like, okay, you know, I just listened to him talk. But in the end, he's like, people aren't doing anything. And I was like, would you like to come volunteer and like do something? And he's like, no, I want to. And like hung up on me. And I was like, okay, thank you. Um, but I had it on speaker and the organizer and I were listening. And at one point, I was like, you know, I have to really get back to work. He's like, no, no, no. Listen here, sweetheart. And I was like, oh, man, he was probably like triple my age. And I was like, all right, this is going to be real interesting. But I mean, people want, like you said, like they want someone to listen to them. But then as soon as you're like, would you like to come help so you can make your voice like your voice more like heard better? And they're like, no, I don't want to. I think that's really frustrating because it's like they'd be the ones that would really make connections with people because like they have a strong opinions too. And oh, it was just a very interesting experience. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that tightrope of campaigns is they alternate between incredibly empowering and incredibly frustrating. So I think a really nice way to wrap up would just be for everyone to go around and share 
like sort of the motivating factor, why they got involved in campaigns and why they felt the need to just take that first action oriented step and some of the positive repercussions or opportunities they had as a result. So Abby, why don't you go first? So growing up, um, my dad always got me really interested and involved in campaigns, you know, whether it was just going between different candidates offices and learning about stuff. So, I mean, even when I was the earliest memory I have is I was eight years old and he took me to the Obama headquarters and then the GOP headquarters and just wanted me to be educated. So I've always been very passionate about younger people getting involved in campaigns, even if they can't vote, because they always have very different insights and very different perspectives. The Trump um, election or the Trump presidency, I guess, um, really got me interested in politics. And that's actually what got me to become a politics major in college and really get involved. And so now that I can vote and I have been able to vote, it's really one of my personal goals to make sure other people that will be turning 18 by the midterms or still are far away from that get involved because they still have the ability to make a really big difference in the outcome of campaigns and elections. What about you, Maddie? Well, for me, I've, since the time I was little, I've always been super interested in politics. And I think as I grew up, I kind of watched the moral character of politicians devolve. Um, and it made me really sad. And I thought a lot about what I could do to make a difference in the political landscape. And so when I was going into school and choosing my major, I kind of thought, like, what am I going to do? How do I how do I make a difference in this? And what I noticed was a lot of people who are really good and would be really good at their jobs, they aren't polished and they aren't good at like speaking to people necessarily. So I went and got, I'm working on my public relations degree and also on a degree in political science because I thought, how am I going to help these people who are policy wonks, who are awesome, talk to people and people who have good moral character, like how to get them elected. Because I struggle to watch people who are very polished, but have horrible moral character get elected. And so I just, I, and I also saw as the political environment got more and more hostile, I saw people running away instead of running into it to make a difference. And so for me, I just thought like, the only way to make a difference is to go and do something. And so that's what I'm doing. <laughs> what about you, Carissa? I would echo the sentiment that I've been the kind of person that was involved a lot. But what got me back involved after a ton of burnout from the last election um, was just seeing a whole bunch of other women in particular running and really getting to explore how to be a politician or a candidate not super fitting into the pre-described boxes of trying to act a very specific way. And then also I wanted to be that person who stepped up when I was on, when I felt like I wasn't being heard. It wasn't enough anymore that I called my elected officials or that I showed up to protest. I, I needed to do something. I needed to feel like I was helping someone with their mission and their vision and their values. What about you, Maggie? What, well, what got me involved in the Hillary Clinton campaign was that I live in Florida and I knew it was a swing state. And there was a little bit of me that was like, I'm not sure I'll be able to like handle the guilt if there's like a close <laughs> race, like a Gore Bush 2000 in this one. And like, I knew that I could have done something that I will be honest that like after the election, I was a little like, I'm never doing this again. <laughs> yeah. But um, on the other hand, 
it was so nice. Like it is so nice to know in this place where I live that like, I have this community of people who I know don't think that the things that are going on are right and are willing to do something about our political system. And now that my friend is running for re-election for school board, it's so nice to have this just the doors that she needs to knock on for re-election are the same ones that we needed to knock on two years ago. And so it's like that you've like done it once. And so it's just not that bad to do it again, you know, and to be able to like not be afraid of the political process. I think like, it's just one of those, like you have to like get over that. Um, I think some people don't volunteer because they're afraid they'll be bad at it. Mm-hmm. Right. But it's like, you know, if you volunteer for a campaign and you're bad at knocking on doors, but you still knock on 20 doors, that's 20 more doors that the candidate couldn't knock themselves. Mm-hmm. And, and so I just that's think cool. that they're like, as hokey as it sounds like that stronger together was a pretty good campaign slogan. Like you don't have to be perfect to make a really valuable contribution. Um, and that can make a really big difference in your community or, you know, in whatever election. Well, I will also say that as I'm listening to all four of you talk, I think a good place to end our conversation on campaigns is to encourage all four of you to run yourselves. I think all of the more young, passionate, women representing different perspectives, different political parties, different areas of the country involved in politics, the the better. And, you know, one of the most powerful things I realized before I ran for office is all the things I told myself, oh, I was too young. I didn't have the right experience. It wasn't the right time. We're just not things men told themselves when asked for run for office. So I mm-hmm. like to be in the practice of asking women to run for office. So I hope all four of you will consider at some point running for office and um, taking your campaign experience to the, te- to the next level. Definitely. <laughs> that's, that's the plan. Yeah. That is definitely escalating. That's the plan. That is definitely school. escalating. That's true. That is true. <laughs> but hey, you don't got to run for president. You can start. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't think I want that job. I don't uh, think. Uh, no. no. <laughs> Senator, maybe. Yeah, there you go. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us. It was really, really great. Yeah, thank you for having us. Thank you. Joe is back. Joe, what's on your mind outside politics this week? Okay, this is ridiculous, Sarah. My boyfriend has gotten into wrestling. (laughs) Okay, I was so scared. I had no idea what you were going to say. No, no, it's so silly. Yeah, I know. It's he. It's over the past couple years, and he got really into wrestling. It or is he actually wrestling? (laughs) No, 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 no. I actually do have a friend who's trying to become a wrestler. I always think of Mike the Miz from Real World. Remember, he became a professional wrestler. Oh, he's still a professional yeah, wrestler. Yeah, I know. I know. He still he's a big it. deal. Yeah, I knew that. <laughs> I can't believe I know this. I can't believe I know this, Sarah. Listen, the Miz was awesome. So he was much. one of the best Real World char- like characters. He was really was he, he was warm and friendly, and he was great. And I am so happy he's found the success that his heart longed for in professional wrestling. I am so happy too because I don't watch reality TV, and uh, I didn't know all that. But yeah, so the reason I bring it up though is that by default. I like to watch what people around me are watching. And and so now, of course, I know about all these plot lines and I like all of them. And I'm like, no, I like that wrestler. I don't like that one, right? I, I have very strong opinions now. And it's ridiculous. I can't believe this has become a part of my life. I bet you we're going to have all kinds of listeners who are like, no way, I, live, I love it. I'm in it. I'm into it. You guys, we can all be friends. We'll be friends. But what's really interesting is what's been going on in wrestling in the past couple of years in terms of women. And that's why I brought that to the conversation today. The the women's division used to be called the Divas. uh, And they had this little like pink Barbie looking belt that was like a butterfly. It was ridiculous. And now they are called superstars, just like the men. 
and they have a wrestling looking wrestling belt instead of a butterfly wrestling belt. No disrespect to butterflies. They're beautiful, but come on. And it's just been really interesting to watch, especially with uh, the show Glow out on Netflix. Have you watched that at all? I have. I watched a few episodes, but then I just couldn't get into it. I feel bad because everybody loves it. You got to stick with it because because Alison Brie's character, Ruth, is so not likable, but you have to get back past it. It's like it's like Orange is the New Black. The main character isn't really the main character. You want to hear everybody else's stories after yeah, a while. That's true. OK, you I'll, try, stick I'll with go it. back. I'll go back. And you got to stick with it. I promise. But sort of this show that's slightly romanticizing and really fun about what was really not a great environment for women the wrestling world has been really bad like because i'm new to wrestling i went back and watched some old stuff and i was like oh this is terrible <laughs> like this is awful to women and now stephanie mcmahon vince mcmahon's daughter is one of the big big wigs in the wrestling world and you know they've really pushed for this women's revolution and there's still a long way to go but it used to be like bikini matches and like three to five minute matches while all these guys had like 20 and 30 minute matches. And now it's these women who are like having these huge headlining matches and they're these massively uh, inspiring athletes, like really, really athletes. And I didn't understand wrestling as a athletic thing. I was like, it's, but it's fake, right? Um, but somebody described it to me as like a stuntman competition. And okay. I was like, oh, I get, I get that. It. Like, yeah. who can who can sell this move the best? Who can rile up the crowd the best? Who, you know, they have these long storylines going from, you know, big event to big event. Like, and and so while I still think it's ridiculous all the time, I think it's really cool that in such a male dominated, it I don't even know what to call it. I can't call it a sport. It's not true. <laughs> it is, but it is athletic. It's very athletic. Um, it, in this this very male dominated form of entertainment where the the fan base has been very male dominated and very misogynistic and stuff. Um, it's been very, very cool to see all of these women get not just screen time, but like just respected as athletes. And there's still a long way to go. Like they had this big event where Saudi Arabia brought them out this year and it was very contentious in the wrestling community and they didn't let the women wrestle cause they couldn't cause they run around and like, you know, they can't do that. It's not cool. Right. Um, and, and so a lot of wrestling fans were like, this is garbage. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there's rumors that they're going to get their own pay-per-view. This doesn't mean a lot to people who aren't wrestling fans. But um, and I I I don't even totally identify that way myself. But um, but I think it's fascinating anytime something that has been dominated as a male like thing for so long gets gets women set front and center saying, yeah, I'm different, but I am badass and I, I love am it exciting too. and I have a lot to yeah, offer. Definitely. Well, I'm also um, re-examining things once discarded. I watched a rom-com for the first time in a long time. Have you seen Set, it up, Set it up on Netflix? I have not. It's so cute. It's about two assistants who try to fix their bosses up and hilarity oh. and love ensues. And I'd seen a lot of people talking about it saying like it's so much better than rom-coms used to be. And it's like it's a directed by a woman. And it's it's it's, you know, some of the parts of it are still kind of cheesy. But the two main characters have great chemistry. They're very adorable and funny and wonderful. And so I made my husband watch it with me last night. And it was so <laughs> cute. It was so cute. Oh. I used to love love romantic comedies and then you know then I became a women's studies minor and felt a lot of shame about my love for romantic comedies and I know that that is a flawed deeply flawed genre, genre but I'm hoping that some people and it seemed this seems to be what's happening and set it up can breathe life and um 
find the find the will they won't they tension without all the bullshit gender stereotypes, which I felt like set it up did very well. So check it nice. out if you're a rom com fan out there, y'all. It's really really cute. Nice. Yeah, you should check it out. It's adorable. Well, oh. Joe, thanks for joining me today while Beth is on vacay, and I hope she's having a good time. Thanks to my amazing roundtable of women. And I will be back Friday sharing an interview with Will Powers about some really cool work he's doing surrounding mental health and high schoolers in our own home state of Kentucky. I'm also going to be on The Nuance Life. We'll be sharing our interview on Wednesday with Allie Worthington. I can't wait for everybody to hear that. And until I talk to y'all next, keep it nuanced, y'all. Fancy Politics is produced by Dylan Garvin. Elise Knapp is our production assistant. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. Our show is listener-supported. Special thanks to our executive producers, Tracy Putoff, George Niedermeyer, James Randall, Cherry Haas, Nicholas Holland, and Chad Silvers. To support Pantsuit Politics and receive lots of bonus features, visit patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics. You can connect with us on our website, www.pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. Sign up for our weekly emails and follow us on Instagram.